Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi there, and welcome to episode 10 of Hometown Glory, your Spurs and Culture podcast. I'm Charlie, and for our first episode of 2022, I'm thrilled we've got a full house. We've got Ash, we've got Billy, we've got Rosa, we've got Tom. Happy New Year, team, and happy New Year to everyone listening. Right, we've got a lot to talk about tonight. We are each going to give one thing we loved and found intensely annoying about Watford and the festive period of games. We're going to look ahead to the Chelsea and Morecambe Cup games. We are going to give our Spurs New Year's resolutions. And of course, we're all going to provide one culture pick from our festive, uh, basically, I imagine we all just watch TV over Christmas. So I imagine there'll be a lot of TV, but who knows? Um, we shall see. Right, let's dive into the festive programme of matches. First up, what did we like? Billy, what did you like about the three games over Christmas, mate? Yeah, I just wanted to say, start by saying good evening to my fellow Antonio Conte managers, my clubbers, because the thing that I like the most is the fact that Antonio Conte manages my club. I don't know if I've mentioned it before in the past, but um, life is pretty good when Antonio Conte is the manager of your club. And if you've seen the football results over the weekend, um, particularly maybe the one that happened today, it's a good time to remind everyone that Antonio Conte manages Tottenham and not your club and our club. And it's brilliant. So I just think like the festive period has kind of reiterated that fact that Antonio Conte manages my club. And that is it. That's all I've got to say on the matter. And I'd like to say good evening to everyone else that applies to you. <laughs> um, we are, for context, speaking in the immediate aftermath of um, Wolves making Man United look very ordinary in their 1-0 win at Old Trafford today. Yeah, but in, but in seriousness, um, I, I was thinking about the first time that we played under Conte. Do you remember the crazy uh, Europa Conference game? I remember after that game, he said he doesn't like football matches like that because it was absolutely like chaotic and frantic. And I think watching the Watford game, while there was a time that it was quite maybe a little bit frustrating and a little bit boring, we were in like total control of that game for like the whole 90 minutes. And I I do have the WhatsApp receipts to testament to this fact, but I did always think that we were going to win it. 
Um, even when it was in like the 93rd minute, I was still pretty, I just kind of knew that we were going to get the win. Um, so I think the amount of progress that he's made is like incredible. And it does blow my mind like how different we are. If you think about that first, I know that wasn't like a, exactly a good measure of where we were at the time, but that conference game, it was like so frantic and hectic. And now we're like controlling play. We know exactly what we're doing. The system is there. And I think the, the amount forward that he's brought us in this short space of time is just incredible. So in seriousness, it is just amazing having him as a manager. It's even interesting thinking back, I feel, to... To, to Jose where we would go to the sort of Watford equivalents I seem to remember a Fulham game last season basically any time we played a Fulham type team last season where it would it would feel as though we would have about 28% possession and we might make a, and I, I think at Craven Cottage last year we, we they scored an own goal or something and then we were clinging on for dear life maybe that would have happened at Watford perhaps but we do now seem to be able to assert ourselves over these sort of lower Lower league, lower of the league teams, which um, which is nice. Um, Rosa, what did you enjoy over Christmas? Yeah, I love that Watford game. I mean, not necessarily watching it so much after. The, I think we it, feel, it felt like we were in total control of the first half. And one thing that I really loved about watching it was that we started very slowly against Southampton, quite sluggishly, and that's why we conceded. And we just started completely differently against Watford. Like we we wanted to take control. Um, and even though the second half was quite a battle, it was just so, it was so glorious to get that like absolute last gasp win. Uh, it's something that I feel like we haven't seen since kind of peak Pochettino days, where I feel like we got quite a few of those results. And I think so, I think our possession in that game as well was something that we haven't, I don't remember what it was, like 70 odd percent or something, which is like, we haven't seen that since 2019. So I loved that. And I also absolutely loved Davinson Sanchez getting that goal, just like the way he took it, the way he celebrated it. I've loved everything about him. Like for the last few games, I feel like not stressed out at all about the Romero situation. You know, I'd like him to come back, but I also, so the Watford game for me is, is really, it's a testament to Conte's coaching of the whole team and also of individuals, really. So it was, even though it was like not a great game in and of itself, it, it was sort of, it was, as Billy says, like, this is where we are now. Antonio Conte is our manager. Mm. Um, very nicely put. I, and I'm going to steal something someone said off Twitter, and I'm so sorry if this person is listening and I'm not um, crediting you, but I really love seeing someone describe Davinson um, after he scored the winner, um, looking like a man sort of walking away from explosion in an action film, just sort of largely unplussed whilst this, like, kind of mania goes on around him um just the, the most i've thought incredible reaction to scoring a 96 minute winner particularly from someone that barely scores any goals um tom what about you what was your what did you enjoy i was just going to say on um dav how many league starts is that in a row now it's is it six or something yeah six which is amazing and like you said rosa i'm not really worrying about him at the moment so it's amazing to see his improvement already um, I am, though, surprised that you're all saying you enjoyed what, the Watford game. Uh, I'm going to flash back. It feels 100 years ago now, but I just loved everything about that Palace game. Uh, all three of our forwards uh, scored. Uh, Lucas, Son and Kane all scored. I just had to check that because, it, again, it feels like a distant memory with Christmas and New Year and everything. Um, but, yeah, after losing to them 3-0... Uh, their place earlier in the season under Nuno and one of the sort of darkest 
matches uh, that I'd seen in a in a long time. Uh, and of course, watching Tanganga set, get sent off in that game, it was just super sweet when Zaha got sent off. It was such a stupid push, wasn't it? Um, but yeah, generally that game was a, a joy to watch. Mora was so excellent in that game, and he linked really well uh, with Royale on the right hand side. Um, and briefly made me think that Royale was uh, going to really come good, but. We'll we'll get to my criticisms in a minute. <laughs> my low point. Um, Ash, before we get before we start getting into the, uh, the the downcast bits, tell me about your positive. Yeah, the same as Tom's. I just really enjoyed the Palace game. Everything about it. Um, the fact that it was on Boxing Day, which for me is like one of the best days to watch football in in the year. The fact that Zaha got sent off. The fact that like Tom said, all the strikers scored. Like it was just a very relaxing atmosphere because. It felt like we were home and dry like after an hour and I could just like sit and enjoy the game and like talk to people. So, yeah. And I don't know why everyone's saying they enjoyed Watford. Watford was horrible. <laughs> I hated that entire game. I'm glad we won though. But yeah, Pal- like Palace was a joy and just very chill. So definitely that was my highlight. Um, I'm going to back Billy up when he was talking about having the WhatsApp receipts for his um, confidence that we would win that game. He was re- he was assuring me throughout the whole thing that we were going to win when I was definitely not um, not feeling that. Um, I'm going to pick um, I'm going to pick Harry Winks largely because I think as most people who have the sort of misfortune of exchanging Tottenham views with me on a regular basis know, I have been really just incredibly down on Winks for almost, I guess, since um, since we were in the Champions League final and just felt like even more so than Delhi, he was someone that needed moving on to sort of kickstart his career. I was never convinced that he was going to, you know, be a fit for us in a, in a starting eleven if we had any aspirations of becoming a top four club again. Um, whether or not he sort of should or deserves to be a starter, I don't know. But the fact that he is now seemingly a very useful member of the squads um, at all. I think he's a testament to Conte's coaching. I think also just, um, you know, fair play to him as well for kind of knuckling down. And it sounds like he's worked incredibly hard in training. Um, I feel like he was probably the best bit about the Southampton game in terms of his progressive passing and keeping the ball moving in the right direction. And yeah, as much as I'm a I'm a huge sort of Hoybier truther, I feel like there's definitely an argument now for a skip winks sort of starting central midfield partnership. And I, I wonder if um, that might come into play in the next couple of matches. Um, let's talk about the things that annoyed us ever so slightly. Obviously, we won two, drew one, so not too much to be miffed about. But, um, Tom, tell me about the thing that annoyed you. It's just the the fullbacks or the, the wingbacks, really. Um, like I said, I thought Royale had a really good game against Palace, Um probably his best game for Spurs. And then uh, against Southampton, Regalon had to come off at halftime because he was having an absolute nightmare. Then we endured Doherty playing on the left. And for some reason, everything seemed to be going through Doherty. He had like actual shots, (laughs) which is not what you want. Um, Yeah, and then I thought against Watford, Royale and Regalon were extremely frustrating. And I'm all for Conte's system, his love of wing-backs. I think it, it should be really good. You know, at, at the most exciting 
times I've watched Spurs was when, you know, with Rose and Walker bombing forward and putting in excellent crosses. But I'm just worried that Royale and Regalon just aren't up to it. And we certainly need um, backup on the right. Definitely, yeah. I wonder if we'll get on to um, talking about Adama Traore and a couple of potential targets there a bit later on. Um, Ash, tell me what, what annoyed you. Uh, the fullbacks definitely annoy me, but my main annoyance was not knowing whether the Palace game was on until really last minute. And I think, like, just as a general thing across the board, like the the league, the clubs, everyone involved has to just be better about like telling us what's going on. Like, I saw a few people. I don't think it was our game, but people who had travelled like the length of the country, like around Christmas, to only find out the game had been called off an hour or so before, which just like really isn't on so that just like really annoyed me because especially at Christmas you kind of like want to know what you're doing and where you're headed and letting the family know so that really annoyed me um which is lucky because Spurs can escape my wrath for a week (laughs) um yeah it feels I feel like this COVID crisis that's um hit football has really just underlined to me that match going fans are absolute bottom of the pile in terms of people's considerations as as per usual um, Rosa, what what annoyed you? Yeah, the yeah the COVID situation is ridiculous. I just I can't believe we're here again. Like, like nothing nothing's been learned. They don't care. Um, for me, I've calmed down about it since the game, but I was in a proper like throw my toys out the pram. This is this is so unfair, like Arsenal fan level meltdown about the Southampton game and the fact that we had like two perfectly good goals disallowed. Like I um do you know what I'm actually not over it. I think part of the problem that we've had, right, is breaking teams down and fine, like Southampton, once they went down to 10 men, put everybody behind the ball the same way that Watford did for 90 minutes. And in those situations, we've had those days, right, where you're just like, okay, it's just not going to happen. We've done all we can and we just can't get through. But if you manage to get through, <laughs> not not once, not twice, but three times, and literally only one of those goals stands, that's just, like, that's just a joke. And just fine, a dodgy offside, whatever. But Forster threw the ball in his own net, in his own net, and still that wasn't given i just if i look at the if i look at the festive period like in total like we've got like what was it like two wins and a draw that's fine overall but on the day and for several days after that and probably and to be honest probably until the 96 minute against watford i was just absolutely fuming and you know i i kind of still am I think that's fair enough entirely i guess the only good thing about festive football is there's usually about 48 hours till the next one comes along and it all sort of clumps together a bit. Um, I'm going to just do mine quickly. I am going to say Tongi uh, and Dombele. And, right, I don't know what's going on with him. I don't know if he is literally strolling around and training, like, with his middle finger up at various middle-aged Italian men and doesn't deserve to get on the pitch, or if Conte is being unfair towards him or whatever. I just think that it's such a crying shame that We've had two matches where we have met stubborn resistance. Um, two teams putting, as Rosa says, 10 slash 11 men behind the ball and we've struggled to sort of put the ball in the back of net. And our most creative footballer is just nailed, bolted to the bench. It just seems such a pity that 
this like what 60 million pound creative midfielder just cannot be used in any way shape or form and again I don't know at this point who to assign blame towards him or managers or whatever it is it's just it's just a real pity and I very much hope for his sake that he well his sake and our sake because I think him moving on uh would be good Ash is furiously flagging me down because uh I think I'm gonna I, get I'm not defending barrel. him don't worry <laughs> no 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 I'm not gonna defend him but I, <laughs> I do think he should have come on I forgot we played at Southampton so someone mentioned it a few minutes ago but he should have come on. I, I actually think that every sub Conte's made so far has been correct, aside from the, the subs at Southampton, when I thought he maybe should have come on because they were just sitting on the edge of their box. And I know he's really annoying and he doesn't work hard and he's unfit and God knows what's, like you said, what's going on behind the scenes, but he's the only one that can make that pass. And in the last sort of 15, 20 minutes of that game, the ball just went out to Winks and he just like delivered it in the box or um, Emerson delivered it in the box and well, the deliveries were like mostly terrible and we didn't really find our man aside from like once when it was a miss hit and I don't know, like I think he just like deserved a run out for like 15 minutes when the work rate was kind of irrelevant at that point. So yeah, I do think we need him like in those bits but yeah, if he's being a twat, like get red immediately. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, it's weird as well that he. I know he came off after like an hour against Liverpool, and he was clearly struggling with, well, running generally. But he started in that match and did, apart from the whole looking like he couldn't run after about twenty minutes thing, which is just standard, I guess. You know, he set up Kane. There was sort of evidence of you know the the huge plus that he does bring to the team, and since then nothing at all. So you figure something must have happened or. You know, he's just not responded well to training since I was something. But it just feels like, you know, such a waste that we've got this guy that costs so much money. We're paying so much money. Just swap him for someone that Conte likes and can contribute creatively. Because that, that to me, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll probably get into the types of players we should be targeting in the positions um, going into the, the sort of January window. But I just feel like it's just such a ridiculous waste of everyone's time at the minute. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I think the Conte's of him in a press conference was pretty telling in the fact that he just described him as a midfielder and then praised Winksy for like five minutes. So it seems like he's done. Um, so let's yeah. hope we can bring someone else in because we need a creative spark like in the team moving forward for those games against the Southamptons. Did um, Conte refer to Harry Winks as Winksy? He did, wow. yeah. He did. Multiple times. Yeah, what's um, happened? <laughs> World's gone mad, but yeah, cool. <laughs> um, Billy. Didn't he also say Ndombele, like he's a midfielder? I think he's a midfielder. Yeah. Like, even was, more damning. It was ice cold. It was ice cold. Um, <laughs> I don't think he comes back from this. Um, Billy, anything on Tongi or other... Other things that have been um, grinding your gears, buzz-wise, over Christmas. Yeah, I'm kind of gonna kind of diverge slightly um, because, um, like, top four has been something for the last few years. Been like we've been so far away from it that it hasn't even like crossed my mind. But now there's a possibility. Like, I just forget how exhausting it is being like so connected to something which could like be a you know really really important again. And like, I'm finding myself watching like Man United games, watching Arsenal games, and getting like really into it. It's just exhausting. Um, but something that really annoyed me is I watched the Man United, um, I watched the Arsenal Man City game, 
and like the sort of fanfare that Arsenal have received afterwards for like losing to Man City, like you'd imagine that like the re- the reaction they've got from that game that they like, beat them like three 0 or something. Like I'm sure there was an article yesterday that said Arsenal. Um, showed the blueprint for how to beat Man City. Like they literally lost. Like we beat Man City earlier in the year with Nuno, for God's sake. Nuno beat Man City, and we didn't get any of this sort of fanfare. And we actually, and in that game, I know it was in isolation that game, but we actually outplayed Man City. Probably one of the only teams to do it this season. I think us and Palace are the only two teams to beat them this season. Um, so yeah, it's really annoying. Like it's being so like into the whole of football again and I'm really connected because it is exhausting and like really caring about every single game it does take a lot out of you but it's also something you know that's that's why we do it in the first place isn't it so it's amazing to like be connected to it all and to be really sort of following every single game but it is also just exhausting like mentally as well yeah I was having the exact same conversation with my dad the other day I was like oh god do you remember what it was like under Poch and just everything mattered so much uh, and I needed I needed that Jose and Nuno break actually I think just for my own like emotional like sense of well being and now I'm I feel like I am sort of ready for it again but you're right it's just it's so it's so tiring and that Arsenal game was absolutely ridiculous didn't Keown describe them as like street fighters or something and it's just like what the fuck's wrong with you I'm so sorry like street fighters who then like got themselves like sent off and like basically like screwed it all up. And also, like Henry Winter was saying after the game, like we need to really sort of consider how we're using VAR and that. Like, every, I'm pretty sure that every decision that in that game was correct. Really, like you could maybe I know that they were sort of arguing about the uh, Edison Edison one in the first half, but if you watch it, if you watch it really closely, then like he gets trodden on by Odegaard in the first place. So like their fans are literally like finding addresses of refereeing facilities and stuff and threatening to turn up. Like they've gone absolutely mad in the wake of this defeat. Like I've never seen anything like it, but like Ian Wright, to be fair to him, is always one of the Arsenal fans I've always sort of like slightly liked. And he said that all the decisions were right and they were right. And Arsenal really just lost the game because they lost their heads for like five minutes and they just got a man sent off and just totally lost their heads and they lost. And that was it. Also, didn't the Edison incident happen at nil-nil, and then they went on to take the lead anyway. So it wasn't like that really would have had any massive bearing other than the fact they would have scored their goal earlier on. Maybe they would have gone on and scored a couple more, who knows, but I, t- I just fascinated to watch. I think I we were saying in our, in our text group, I had a, you know, when you just sort of see yourself in other people, and I don't think Spurs fans are as bad as Arsenal fans, but well, the majority of Arsenal fans. Um, but like seeing their meltdown around refereeing and everything did make me think, oh my God, I need to like, someone needs to take my phone away from me next time this happens with Spurs. It made me so glad I hadn't tweeted anything <laughs> about the Southampton game. Because <laughs> when you, it's like when you see fans tweeting about refereeing decisions and you can't, you just want to reply to them and go, you only feel like this because it's your team. Like, that's the only reason you feel like this. This isn't rational, what you're feeling right now. It's just because something bad has happened to your football team. The refereeing, you know, institution is not corrupt or beyond saving or these people aren't out to get you. It's just that something you didn't like has happened to your football team. And I feel like I need to, like, have that printed off and put on my fridge or something for next time this happens to Spurs just to, to stop me doing this. Um, but, Rosa... <laughs> Rosa is right. Fraser Forster did just 
score an own goal and somehow it was disallowed. Absolutely. I, mean, I cannot believe that still. Where I'm was, so furious about it. Where was the where was that energy for that decision? Like, you know, that was I think the, the most shocking decision of the whole festive period was Fraser Forster literally. I mean Matt Doherty literally stepped out of the way. He pulled out of the challenge when he saw that he could, was probably going to get whistled for fouling him if he did go up and contest the, the ball in the air. He, he backed off and let Forster do his thing, which was throwing the ball in his own net. And he still got whistled for a foul. Listen, guys, you're not paranoid if they really are out to get you. <laughs> <laughs> I've just realised I've just done like a complete like 180 on what I just very um, piously said. So I guess apologies to Arsenal fans. <laughs> and also on the conspiracy, while we're on the conspiracy theory section, um, Eric Dyer was literally rugby tackled in the penalty area at the, in the Watford game. Like, and he didn't even get like picked up on by the commentators barely. Like, um, and that's one thing I do think as well. When I watch that Arsenal game, like all of their players were swarming the ref at all times. Our players, they don't even seem to appeal anything. Like, I don't think even Eric Dyer barely even appealed. So, I would like to see our players start to appeal more because I think if you do get inside the head of referees. I don't think that was even checked by VAR. Like, I don't, I don't know what was going on there. So, you know, I do think that it all evens itself out. Is it? So, it'll be like we take the mick out of Arsenal and vice versa. But they sort of, I just think the officiating is poor, like in general. But yeah, that Eric Dyer one was just crazy. Um, I think the downside to swarming the ref is basically what seems to happen to um, uh, Gabriel Gabriel, the their defender who got sent off. Because from what I saw on Twitter, it looked like his first booking, he got booked because. Um, the Arsenal players were all swarming them, swarming the ref. A couple of City players came over and sort of nudged Gabriel towards the ref, which made the ref book him for like, you know, a mini assault. So I guess just be careful how close to referees you get is the, the lesson there. But um, yeah, it would be nice to see something a bit more than like Harry Kane's always very like half-assed sort of arguing. I always feel like he just feels like it's something he has to do, but never has his, uh, has his heart quite in it. Um, right. Before we all, go a bit mad about refereeing um let's talk about a really um stress-free topic of conversation Chelsea as we embark upon the first of our three games against Chelsea this month um on Wednesday night at Stamford Bridge um how is everyone feeling about playing Chelsea in this cup tie Chelsea are in a bit of a weird place right now with the Lukaku situation who's confident Ash how confident are you going into this match? Oh, not I'm not confident at all. Um, oh man, it's Chelsea. <laughs> sorry, it's Chelsea. It's away, um, and I kind of felt a bit confident just because of the whole like Lukaku and like maybe they've got like a couple of players that like aren't here because of the Afcon thing. But then you just think about it and they've got loads of incredible other players that they can just bring in. Um, so. Yeah, I don't feel amazingly confident, but we have to beat them, don't we? It's Conte, he's back at Stamford Bridge. I don't know, I don't know, but I don't feel great about it, just because it's them. I suppose at least, like, a a narrow defeat slash a draw, obviously a win would be amazing, but one of those two results isn't a disaster with the second leg at our place. Um, Billy, a bit more confident? Um, I am confident about the, uh, going through in the in the tie. I think we've got a good chance because, like, they're probably the only club in the world that could the manager could be under pressure after winning the Champions League like four or five months ago. Um, it does seem like it's just a little bit chaotic there now. But I think, like, 
the Lukaku situation, I don't actually think that's going to work in our favour because I think if it hadn't happened, he'd have probably played against Liverpool and then he'd be rested against us. But because it's weird that he got like, chucked out the squad for the Liverpool game, I think he's going to play against us, which I don't really look forward to. I think he's a really dangerous player. Um, so I think that's actually in a roundabout way going to come back to bite us a little bit. I'm not expecting us to go there and win on Wednesday. It would just be nice to sort of still be in the tie and like maybe a, like you say, a, a draw would be amazing or like a, just like a one nil or a two one, something like that. Um, but I feel confident that under Conte and, you know, I think the atmosphere next Wednesday is going to be unbelievable. Um, so I think we have a good chance of getting through the tie overall. I'm not really confident about it this Wednesday, but as long as we just stay in the game, don't lose our heads. I'll be interested to see what kind of team he plays out on Wednesday because um online it suggests that Chelsea have got quite a few injury problems and like but then I've just seen today as well that we've had maybe a couple of COVID cases Conte has been talking about um there's some rumors going around that maybe Dyer has got COVID which kind of shows you the the sort of difference that Conte has made because before you know now in the form that Dyer and that is absolutely terrifying like I'm you know he'll be on my my first name on the team sheet on Wednesday so that's a bit worrying, but who knows? Um, I, I do think we have a good chance of going through overall. I think I'm with um, Conte, I think, said that it should just be one leg um, because then we've got so much fixture congestion as it is. I think just for my stress levels, it should just be one leg because obviously we've also got the the league game coming like so soon. Like playing them three times in such a sp- short space of time is just going to be so stressful. But... I think it's great that Conte clearly is going to want to do a job on them. Uh, and, you know, he has reasons to want, to, a lot of reasons to want to beat them. But yeah, the worry is that even their second 11 could beat most teams in the league, really. Their strength in depth is amazing. I'm hoping, uh, we, no one's mentioned Skip yet, but um, I'm hoping he could have a big game this week or in these Chelsea matches because Chelsea control the ball so well in the middle. Um, so we, we need someone to do that for us and Skip seems to be doing that pretty well recently. Rosa, what's what's your prediction? Yeah, I feel quite stressed out by it really. I was sort of thinking back to before Christmas when we were talking about what do we want from the season and is it, you know, are we hoping for like top four or a cup? And Tom said, I can't see past January. And at the time I was like, whatever, that's miles away. It'll be fine. And and now I'm just like, this really is the actual month from hell. Like we've got to play Chelsea three times and then Arsenal. And, you know, even thinking about it is giving me like a mild panic attack. It's one of those situations where you sort of think, what what would I take from it? Like, do I, would I rather have the, you know, the, the cup victory or the league victory? And at the end of it, you just realise like none of it's in your hands it doesn't matter what decision what weird deal you make in your head with God like none of it matters it's just whatever happens on the pitch that day and the thought of actually having to sit through like three of those I just I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do it to be honest with you I just like imagine like really if Eric Dyer is injured who is going to play in central defense is it going to be Rodon like (laughs) I might be sick (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which would be weird because that was when Rodon came into the team for the first time last season I seem to remember was at Stamford Bridge where he kind of was pretty good but then inexplicably gave the ball to Giroud who should have scored the winner in the last minute if I remember um, the other thing about this semi of course is that if by sort of some beautiful um, miracle we did manage to beat Chelsea in a two-legged semi there's the kind of 
Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. (laughs) And it's like the double whammy of like on paper, uh, the team that Rosa doesn't want me to mention is the easier of the two opponents, but the stress levels of going into a potential North London derby cup. I'd rather just, I'd rather lose the semi-final to be honest with you. Like, (laughs) Like if if Arsenal go through to the final, like no, I can't do it. I just I can't play them in a cup final. No, thank you. No, not I'm even. Out. Not even. No, the... I'm out. <laughs> can't do it. <laughs> Ash, I feel like you're maybe the person I would look to to kind of give me the reassuring sort of hand on the knee, tell me it would be okay in an event of a North it's London not, Derby it's Cup not final. Okay. <laughs> it's not okay. I'm 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 with Rosa. I I just. I can't take that level of stress, honestly. I'd have a heart attack at Wembley. That, that's where I would like end up dying, would be like just the concourse at Wembley. I, 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 mean, can't, face, this, like, I can't face them. With this spate of sort of, it feels like, I mean, we had one on uh, on the weekend against Watford, right? It was another crowd health incident that, in a weird way, I was reading somewhere, might have given us the, that break in play allowed Conte to give us sort of one last team talk and they went out and sort of rejigged things and managed to get that opportunity but yeah I just I would worry for the health of like the 80,000 people crammed into Wembley that day on both sides because I know enough Arsenal fans to know that they're feeling exactly the same way about this as we are um, Billy how would you feel yeah, I was I was with my good Arsenal friend last night actually um, watching the darts, and we both said that we'd rather just lose the semi final than have the like prospect of like I just I can't imagine like it's bad enough on like the, the run up to a league game. Like, I feel sick for a week, and like, I the night before I pretty much can't sleep. Like before a, a cup final, I just I don't think I would be able to take it. And on that note as well, like I, I hate uh, most people who know, who know me will know that I hate Chelsea so much like them my least favorite team even in comparison to Arsenal. i have a really really strong hatred of chelsea so it's, it's bad enough playing them once let alone twice in a two-legged game and then three times in a league game also the women are playing them on friday night as well on sky so that's, that's four chelsea games in a month i'm not gonna be able to get through this month like if we come out of this this month alive like still with everything to play for then honestly just give Conte everything that he ever wants because that man is going to be a genius if we manage to do that I bought my ticket for the home leg, the Carabao home leg today for next week. And then only after buying it did I twig that it's Arsenal four days later. Like, that is awful. Like you said, any like any time we play Chelsea or Arsenal, you feel sick for the entire week anyway beforehand. And then we've got them both within within four days to like lose both of those, I can't even contemplate it. And then I after do. that, we have Chelsea again as well. Then after that, Arsenal game is Chelsea in the league. It's like, it's just unbearable. The only thing I can look to for sort of support during this ridiculous period is I remember, like, I think back to like doing my GCSEs and my A levels or something where you're like, how am I going to cope with having to do like daily exams for the best part of a month? And this is impossible. I'm going to snap i'm gonna like melt down i'm gonna fail everything and by and large you know you do get through it and it's okay so i wonder if the fact that they are like so kind of rat-a-tat-tat we have to play them in such close succession might mean that we just get into this like fight or flight sort of mindset and you just kind of grit your teeth and get through it and 
you're almost sort of become accustomed to the stress level. You just get used to it because that's what you have to do. I'm saying all this like a big man. I'm going to be a, a, a gibbering wreck for the best part of like three and a half weeks. I, I know I am. Um, hopefully, however, I feel like we should move on from Chelsea before we all do sort of keel over. Um, we have a slightly, fingers crossed, I mean, this could backfire enormously in sort of Mura fashion, but a slightly less stressy match on the weekend at home um, as we kick start our FA Cup campaign for this season against Morecambe. Morecambe are... 19th in League One at the time of us recording this. Um, they did win their last game 4-3 at home to Doncaster. Um, their manager, Stephen Robinson, actually started his career at Spurs. Um, he played two league games for us in the 93-94 season. Um, this is his first season at Morecambe after three and a half years at Motherwell. Um, that is the um, length and breadth of my research for Morecambe. Um I think the main thing to I want to quiz you guys on here is like, is there any player in particular you would like to see come into the team that we've maybe not seen that much of, or is there anything different you'd like you'd love to see sort of in a like I say, hopefully more low key ninety minutes, considering how stressy all the other matches are. Um, Ash, what about you? I'd love to see Brian because um, we've seen him a couple of times over the last few games, and he looked really bright. So I'd love to see him. Um, is Jack Clark still here? I don't know. Jack Does Clark is still here, yeah. I imagine he's probably, they're probably talking about a loan for him, but he certainly, I imagine, will be here for the weekend. So yeah, he'd, he'd be fun. Yeah, him. Maybe Divine as well, because he scored against Marine. We have to mention Marine every episode, so there is. Yeah, all I've, so- all I've got is to ask where I can get my Morecambe scarf, because this time last year... <laughs> My, I ordered my marine scarf. It arrived weeks after the game. But yeah, let me know where I can order my Morecambe half and half. Um, well, me and Ash, me or Ash could walk up the road and pick you up one from the, one of the market sellers, Tom. So don't worry, we'll, we'll sort you out at the latest birthday. Great, present. thanks. Um, Rose, is there anyone you'd like to see against Morecambe? I had a sort of brief, do I want to see if uh, Giovanni Lo Celso is still alive thought, I guess. Like, you know, these games, I sort of feel like the, the players are on a like, hiding to nothing, aren't they? Because they're always sort of weird, cobbled together teams. Um, but do you know what? All right, Lo Celso, if you are still alive and you're not broken, then let's, let's have a look at you. <laughs> but that's it, really. I, um, I, think I, I sort of feel like we've seen everyone that I've wanted to see this season, you know, unless, because I sort of feel like we're at the point now where I maybe agree that like Tanganga needs a loan. So I, I don't think I do want to see it. Like I, I do want to see him, but I don't, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I hear you. And I, yeah, that's a, that's a drum that Ash has been banging, banging for a while. The old Tanganga needs a, a season out on loan just to play every week. And I, I, I think I'm with Ash entirely. I think he's someone that is not benefiting at all from the stop-starty kind of nature of his his appearances for Spurs. Um, I was wondering whether or not we would see a kind of like Dylan Marcande, but I wonder if that's maybe a bit too risky for Conte. Feels like he's quite risk averse in these situations, even though we might, you know we might have a couple of COVID cases and we've got these games coming thick and fast. He won't want to you know be a sort of he won't want, I think after Mura, I think he'll be quite cautious going into this game. Um, I think Brian for me is the one. I'd love to see him get sort of ninety minutes in a start and is, you know, sort of playing behind um, behind a striker. 
Billy, anyone you're keen on seeing? Yeah, I just want to echo Brian, who I was a little bit worried for. Um, he's sort of faded into obscurity, and then he's had a quite, it seems like he's sort of winning over Conte a little bit. He seems to be relying on quite a lot of the sub at the moment, so definitely him. Um, I'm just a bit, like, as Rosa said, I'm a bit sick of the second string, to be honest. Like, they had so many chances in the Conference League, and they didn't rise to any of them, um, and that was just an embarrassment. I'm, I'm a bit sick of all of them. The, the only other one that she's already mentioned is Mark and Day. I would love, I'd love to see him. I think he looks a really exciting prospect. So I imagine he'll probably go unknown in January, so maybe we might get to see him before he goes. But um, yeah, other than Brian, none of the second string excite me whatsoever, to be honest. I'm a bit sick of all of them. So yeah, I'd, like, I'd love to see Brian, though, definitely. Um, Tom, other than a sort of just getting a good look at what the half and half scarves look like for this one. Anyone you want to see or anything you're sort of anticipating might be fun in this game? No, not really. I mean, like, like um, Billy just said, we, we saw that we can't trust the second string team against Moura, for example, like that was horrendous. Uh, but no, Brian, I thought he was really, really good when he came on um, against Southampton at the end of that match. He was just looked so positive had a lot of energy and just looked to, like he wanted to make stuff happen um, in contrast to some of our other midfielders who sit on the bench. So uh, I'd love, love Brian to have to start. Yeah. And I'm guessing um, this could be like his last ever game for Galini. Like I just, because we're so far in the Carabao Cup, we're out of the conference league. Unless we get like a, another decent tie in the FA Cup against like really lower league opposition, I doubt he might not ever play for us again. And to be honest, it doesn't really bother me that much in the slightest. So I guess it'd be interesting to see him. Um, but I just, you know, like as he proved in, against Watford and Southampton, particularly Watford, where he only had two things to do. But Hugo is just like in the absolute form of his life at the moment. So I don't think we'll ever see Galini again. And I'm not particularly sad about it, to be honest. Oh, poor old Galini. Quite good on social media, not good in the Carab and well, not the Carabao, didn't even play in the Carabao, I don't think. In the conference, not good at all. Like Joe Hart levels of like an inability to get down to low shots. Really, really weird player. Right, moving on. We are gonna talk about your Spurs New Year's resolutions. So this can be something that you would love to see Tottenham Hotspur or an individual player, or Antonio Conte, or Paratici, or Daniel Levy, resolved to do in 2021. Um, we put this out on Twitter as well for our beautiful listeners, and we got some fantastic responses, which we're going to read out in a minute. But I'm going to go first to Rosa. What is your Tottenham Hotspur 2022 resolution? You know, I had a moment when I was thinking about this and I was like, do I take, do I sort of think about it as like, what's my personal Tottenham Hotspur resolution? I thought, shall I try to resolve to be less lily-livered about games? Just as, but, but then we had that whole conversation about Chelsea and Arsenal and I was like, it's literally not possible. So I'm not even going to pretend I can do it. Um, I'd, I'd like to see um, the Delhi and Ndombele situations resolved once and for all. Personally, I can't, go back and forth with either of them anymore I think for all parties we just need decisions made even if we end up horribly regretting them let's just go for it I would also like to see Cess play a lot more um if I can't have um a sort of Delhi renaissance or Tanganga kind of playing regularly then Cess is was my sort of last person that I wanted to see a lot of and I think that's the one that seems most likely at the moment so I'd like to see more of him 
I just really hope with Seth that he is not someone that's got one of these like cursed professional footballer bodies where he's just picked up so many little injuries, not little injuries, even decent injuries at such a young age that he's always going to have to be managing sort of his fitness and, you know, a long run of games might be beyond him. But positivity, this is the new year. I've, I've got a feeling my it's prediction more than a resolution, but I think he's going to um, supplant um, Reggie quite soon. I think that partly because I'm not entirely convinced by by Regulon at the moment and partly because I think Sessegnon showed himself at a really decent level, particularly in that Liverpool game, sort of straight away. Yeah, that gave me so like, much hope and I'd like I'd mm. love to see that as well. And I think Reggie was such an idiot against Southampton, like so unnecessarily stupid um, that I don't feel like at the moment we can really rely on him in the way that we thought we might be able to. I agree. And I think that Sessegnon just has the feel of someone that Conte would love to make a bit of a pet project of and you know sort of young enough to be able to really drill into him what he wants to do I think they both said that wing back is like the perfect position for him fingers crossed um Ash your Spurs New Year's resolution please so I have I actually have three uh one three for Conte, <laughs> one yeah one Rose is going to be very angry with me. One for Conte, uh, one for our chairman and one for our fans. And the one for uh, Daniel is to just like give Conte whatever he wants because I'm terrified every press conference that Conte is going to have a meltdown and decide that he wants to leave. Um, the one for Conte is to just stop giving the same players that have had a million chances, more chances. And the ones for the fans is to just stop moaning when we like push the ball back to the fence and try and build from the back because it drives me nuts and we're keeping the ball to so stop moaning so those are my those are my resolutions for the year very all wishes all very nicely put um and yeah i think we all agree with all three of those um tom what's yours on a very personal level i need to move seats i'm kind of two i'm on the edge of the south stand i need to move down into the safe standing area, which I think is now in uh, is now Ooh. in operation from this week. Yeah, I'm just kind of just on the edge of the south stand. It's not rowdy enough, and not uh, and my seat is very expensive, and it would be cheaper if I was a bit lower. Uh, but uh, and then like generally, I think Rosa touched on it, but we've been terrible at selling players recently we've got so much dead wood I don't really think Delhi, for example needs any more chances or Ndombele who's played under five managers and no one's got a tune out of him for very long and then I think Lacelso, his new year's re- resolution should be to start playing football because I just how can we you know he costs 60 50 60 million he has to do something or, or are we just going to cut our losses on both Ndombele and Lo Celso? I don't know. But he needs to resolve to to do something for us, surely. I don't know if I'll ever get over us spending the best part of a hundred, well, more than a hundred million on two midfielders that, for various reasons, just have not done a single thing of note, pretty much for Tottenham in what's coming up for three seasons. It's just the most Tottenham Hotspur thing I think we could have possibly done after getting to a Champions League final. Oh, Ash, can you hear me? I can hear you now. Sorry, I cut out. I'm going to rejoin in a sec. Can you hear me now? Yeah. 
Okay, cool. No, I was going to just say that that summer, summer window is, is a joke. That I think it was uh, Ndombele, Le Celso, Sersignon and Clark. Um, and so far, it's been like a waste of about 160-odd million or whatever it is. So, yeah, that needs to happen one way or another. Just, just mad. Um, <laughs> Billy, talk to me. Resolutions. Yeah, so mine kind of um, echoes what Ash said earlier. I just want to start acting like a big club. Um, because rather than sort of sit around and wait for it to go wrong and then sort of spend as, as a result of to fix it, like we've been here so many times in January where we're on the verge of doing something really good. And we kind of think, right, let's just muddle through. We're doing really well under Conte now. We've won, you know, four out of our first six games, whatever it is. Um, so let's see how we do. We'll go into summer, we'll buy some players and that. Like we need to act now. Like, I think we need to strengthen the squad right now so that we can have an even better second half of the season. Um, I think Arsenal Man United are going to push us all the way for top four. Like when there's no chance we're going to be anywhere, anything close to running away with it. Like it's going to go right into the wire. Um, so I think rather than sort of rest on our laurels and think, right, Conte's doing a good job, let's just keep going until summer and hope that he sort of carries us over the line. No, we need to actually go out and back him with some decent players. Um, I would start straight at the fullbacks because I think Conte's whole system revolves around fullbacks and I don't think our right backs are quite good enough um, I don't know me and you have spoken quite a lot about Traore and things if that's who I just I don't really care who we get as long as it's who Conte wants that's that's all I care about if that is Traore then go and get Traore if it's not Traore then go and get someone different but um, I just want to see us act like a big club and you kind of see our fans sometimes question things like why would we buy like Blahovic uh, for Fiorentina when we've got Harry Kane it's like you don't ever see like Man City fans question that kind of thing we seem to be sort of have this mindset where we're worried about buying players to sit on our bench, but then that's how you win titles. That's how you progress as a club. You sort of improve the whole squad. Um, so I think both our club and our fans and everyone, we need to start acting like a big club now if we want to sort of be fruitful under Conte. So not just like the, the board, but I think the fan base, everyone now, the players as well, we need to start acting like a big club because we do have a big manager now. Here, 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 here. Mine's really simple. Um, give Hugo Lloris a new contract um, and just get it done as soon as possible. You know, he can, he's now able to talk to foreign clubs about signing a pre-contract for the end of this season. Um, my fear is that he's going to feel sort of disrespected enough that we've not got this sorted out for, you know, someone who is the club captain has been here 10 years, who is our, record appearance holder for Premier League matches and I think it's just pretty awful actually that it's it's gotten to this point so I just I need Tottenham to sort that out and fortunately it sounds like Conte seems pretty uh, pretty confident that it will um, so that's mine um, I'm just going to read out a few uh, tweets that we had um, I always feel like when I do this bit, very um, psychic Simon on the Partridge show where I've got over to my like video wall and it's all going to go horribly wrong. Fortunately, you can't see me like very flustered, sort of clicking onto various open windows to try and find these. Fortunately, Billy sent me all them in a very handy WhatsApp message. Lewis Britton at Lewis underscore Britton says, um, it's already been said, but no free kicks from Kane. Apologies to whoever said it before, Lewis. Billy did not send me that one. So um, you don't get a mention. Um, Dan Peacock at Dan Peacock 10 says, no more free kicks from Kane. So Billy did. I've just opened it in the wrong way. This is going incredibly psychic, Simony. Um, uh, AP at Other Anthony says, to not settle. We have to dare is to do plastered all over the ground, but we seem to settle for second slash third best far too often and far easily. 
you could argue there Anthony's been quite generous with uh, us settling for second or third best but I think that goes back to what Billy was saying for sure um, at uh, IDKK712 says trophy simply um, Cody Mack at Comacdu says act like a big club for once um, Roses Ollie as he'll forever be known on this podcast tweeted to say don't lose to Arsenal that's it I think that's a a very solid one. Alex Reidman, Reidman, apologies, Alex, um, says, back the damn manager. No half measures. Again, completely fair enough. And there were loads like that. I think the, the main consensus here is, like Billy said, we have somehow lucked out into having one of the sort of top three, four managers in world football fall into our laps somehow. Please do not mess this up. As I think Ash just said, you should see the state of our text group anytime. Anytime Antonio Conte opens his mouth, like we are dissecting every word he's saying at the moment, desperately trying to reassure ourselves that he is not on the verge of walking out because he's had a bad meeting with Daniel Levy. So ensuring that our, our sanities are kept from having to just listen to these press conferences in the stressful way in which we are is, uh, is definitely number one. Um, also, and... As Billy said to me in a message, we should probably include this for balance. Um, uh, Chrisman Spurs says, um, for people to stop lavishing praise on Eric Dyer every time he breathes, purely because either A, they fancy him, or B, they fancy his politics. Um, I could not disagree more with you there, Chrisman Spurs. I think that's, uh, I respectfully think that is complete nonsense, but you are, of course, entitled to your views. But um, uh, Tom, you're not going to agree with him, are you? When I saw that, I want what of what a dire's politics has he has he cut? I know he's European. He's sort of grew up in Portugal, um, and he seems a smart, kind of open-minded guy. But has he come out in favour of a particular party? Is he like a big Boris Johnson supporter? I don't know. What what has he said? I feel like the the main thing that I can remember is that he was in favour of a second referendum around Brexit. Um, yeah, isn't he just a sort of, you know, like urbane, pro-Remain sort of European, European. type? That's yeah. it, basically. A Ramona. Work, work for me, so. We'll call him a Ramona. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is the, the pick of them. Um, so lots to chew over for, for Tottenham Hotspur in 2022 in this slightly um, frightening year of uh, potential joy or misery um let's move on to something altogether more well more urbane than eric dyer perhaps our culture picks um rosa your culture pick from over christmas please um over christmas i watched two films several times with my eldest daughter who is now nearly five before christmas we watched muppets christmas carol literally every day until christmas day and then after christmas we watched encanto which we've now seen four times in total and we've had the soundtrack on like basically permanently and like it's such a delight it's just such a delight it's about this magical family and the main character, Mirabelle, is the only one who doesn't have magical powers. And all of the songs are written by Lin-Manuel Miranda in that sort of classic way that he has. Um, so if you're a fan of his stuff, which I am, it, like all, all the songs are completely joyous. It's The animation is so beautiful and it's also really well voice acted, if that makes sense. So it has loads of really recognisable voices. 
um, but they all do it really, really beautifully. Um, and there's also a very kind of serious backstory um, about refugees, which had me in like absolute tears. And I've only sort of just got to the point where I can now watch one scene without just crying. Um, if you've got kids, it's, I think it's perfect. But if you haven't, I would also recommend it. It's on Disney Plus. So, I mean, Disney basically owns my life now. But that is just, yeah, it's just a lovely, lovely film with just, yeah, beautiful visuals, beautiful songs, and also good politics, I guess. So win all around for me. Um, I loved it too. It's it's really gorgeous. My my three year old is obsessed as well. Um, so a, a full recommendation, I reckon, across the board. Um, Tom, your recommendation? Uh, yeah, Encanto looks beautiful. I might need Rosa to kind of explain it to me. I, you know, when you're watching a film with your kid, you're sort of on your phone or whatever as well. But it looks beautiful. I like the songs. Um, I need Rosa's recommendation of which songs to to stream on the soundtrack because um, my daughter will. Uh, uh, my daughter really enjoyed that film. Uh, TV-wise, I enjoyed A Very English Scandal. Well, I, I sort of enjoyed it. It was about annoying posh people. Um, not a lot really happened, but Claire Foy was very good in it and is just a very, very beautiful. Uh, and then Spurs Connection. I loved the Gone Fishing uh, Christmas special with uh, Bob Mortimer and Paul Whitehouse. There was a full hour. It's not, there's bits that are kind of Christmassy, but a lot of it has kind of nothing to do with Christmas. So you can probably still watch it now. And I kind of meant to mention it when we were talking about TV of the year, um, because obviously you talk about prestige like drama and stuff, but Bob Mortimer and Paul Whitehouse fishing and kind of talking about life and touching on mental health and just being very funny as well. Bob Mortimer falls over a lot. It's just the most like beautiful lovely watch and in that christmas special gaza was in it um and paul whitehouse briefly touched on um his first trip to white Hart lane he's a spurs fan and it's definitely on my list of like dream guests he seems a, a really great guy and bob mortimer's obviously hilarious and also loves football yeah absolutely paul whitehouse um will be making several requests to your people this year to get you on please um I'm going to call out a very British scandal as well, actually, um, which I just finished watching a second before we came on to record tonight. Um, I felt like it's a lot more sort of cinematic than the Hugh Grant and Ben Whishaw one, I, which I liked a lot. Um, it's three parts. So it's not too much to sort of commit to. Um, did feel a lot like Claire Foy playing Princess Margaret instead of Queen Elizabeth, this sort of, you know, change from the crown, but thought she did it really well. And sort of similarly to Tom I think she's an incredibly engaging actress that um, I really enjoy watching um, we also finished a few things over Christmas that we'd had um, sort of a couple of episodes to go on Dope Sick which I know I think Billy's spoken about on the pod before um, not the most festive of watches but it's I think would belatedly challenge Succession and Mayor of Easttown as my show of 2021 just absolutely incredible TV Michael Keaton and um, Caitlin Diva. I never pronounced that properly at all. Apologies. Um, they're just especially exquisite and heartbreaking. Just watch it on Disney Plus if you've not yet. Um, particularly as January is a bit visual anyway. Um, also, shout out the most recent season of Curb, which I finally got around to finishing. I wasn't sure with the first few episodes, but I feel like ever since Tracy Ullman pitches up playing Irma um, towards the back end of the season, it just 
sort of skyrockets and I was back just loving every second of being in, in Larry's company. Um, I, I stopped halfway through this series, so maybe before Tracy Ullman turned up, so maybe I need to, um, yeah, to do. get back into you'll, it. You'll love it, Tom. I'm confident you'll love it. Billy, tell us yours, please. Yeah, so because um, like Oscar season is on the horizon, I've tried to start making my way through the Oscars films that I've watched. I watched King Richard last night, which is a Serena Williams film, which is absolutely brilliant. Um, that was uh, probably the best film that I've seen over the Christmas period. Um, I've watched Don't Look Up, which I you know if you, you guys have watched as well, which I really enjoyed. I love seeing Leo in that. I watched The Green Knight with Deb Patel, which is really good. I've seen Spider-Man twice in the cinema, since seeing it in the cinema, um, because it's just the, the, one of the best and most incredible things I've ever seen. I'm not going to talk about it too much because I know Rose has not seen it yet. I saw Spencer, the Princess Diana film, which is really good. Um, but the film I want to talk about is The Matrix Resurrections, which I went to see last week. Um, I'm a huge Matrix fan. I love, absolutely love the first film. Not too big on the sequels. So I was kind of like wary about this film and it is an absolute hot mess of a film. Like, it is crazy. Like I'm amazed that it even got made. And like some of the things that happen in this film is like how on earth did this get through like the pitch meetings and stuff. Like it's really, really meta. Um, I don't think it's very good, but I sort of enjoyed the experience of seeing them again. Um, but what I want to talk about off the back of that is this documentary called A Glitch in the Matrix, which is all about simulation theory. Um, and it's such an amazing documentary. And as a result of it, I am now like utterly convinced that we're living in a simulation. So it's totally blown my mind over Christmas. So yeah. So Matrix Resurrections and a documentary called A Glitch in the Matrix, which is all about simulation theory. Um, maybe that will ensure that you don't have to get quite so stressed about Spurs. If that's yeah, I was actually thinking that like obviously if we are in a simulation like tottenham is obviously like a module created to like see how far they can push like human existence like before <laughs> they break like we're obviously just got like some coder in like the base reality somewhere just thinking right i'm just going to get take a few million people and push them as far as I put, i'm going to give them a little bit of hope every now and then and then break them totally i'm just going to see what happens just going to simulate that just for fun so i do think we are like the the sort of cheat code of the simulation where they're just proving how far they can push us without breaking us and then breaking us as well um before we get taken down after all major podcast um platforms uh as billy will sort of break the fourth wall ash tell us your your uh, culture recommendation over christmas please mate i kind of went off grid and didn't watch or loads of things or listen to anything but i kind of just came back on grid and like watched the entire second series season of um the morning show on Apple TV, which is really good and I highly recommend. But my main pick is uh, this new Questlove book um, called Music is History, where he sort of runs through various important uh, historical years and how they connect to music. And you should just check out all his books. He's a fascinating character uh, and just has an insane, like, scary knowledge of music. Um, so, yeah, definitely check that book out, Music is History. Um, also, Ash, you um, put me on the new Nas album as well, which which is incredible. Oh yeah, it's very good. All Hit Boy produced, um, and it's like definitely like a big return to form for Nas and Hit Boy. Just yeah, like the producer of like the last year, he's been amazing, and I think he's up for the Grammy at the end of the month. So fingers crossed, he wins because he definitely deserves it. Nice one. Um, right. I reckon that just about wraps us up. Thank you all for uh, for listening. Um, thank you guys, as ever, for being so wonderful. Um, here's to us all not sort of losing our shit collectively or individually over the next month. Um, and yeah, Billy, see us home, please. Thank you for listening, everyone. 
Yeah, I want to say farewell to my fellow Antonio Conte managers, my clubbers, and up the Spurs. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.